Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back. It's that time again. It's Get awesome. ready for some awesome. I was waiting for it that time. You guys know who it is. Johnny Storm from Abilene, Texas. We're doing the August wrap-up. And guess what? It is a special late-night edition. It's real late. Norisworthy after dark. So this should be a lot of fun. And we brought Jonathan Storm to do the thing. Yes, you did. You are cruel to me because I, this is Sunday night after like a 14 hour day. I'm having to. Oh my goodness. Sit down and record with you about all the. It's a tough life. You're probably out in the sun all day moving heavy objects, lifting. <laughs> wait, what if, wait, you're in air conditioned talking. Man. No, in the church office. On Sunday afternoon, the air condition turns off. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, really, such a like, hard life. It's like a sharecropper's career. <laughs> that's, that's right. Ju- that's ju- Let me see the calluses on your hands. I'm sure they're very <laughs> just thick and I do have, I have delicate book-reading hands. That. <laughs> okay, so I heard that there is a big change in your life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is. It's something that, uh, you know, honestly, I hadn't. Hadn't thought of for years and hadn't even thought about it. And it was right in front of me the whole – I mean it was like I was – every time I looked in the mirror, I saw it there. But I never even thought about it until that, uh, that my girl – looking in the mirror, wasn't it? No, no. I don't know what you're talking about. My, until my girl Erica brought it up, I never thought about it. Oh, okay. I think we may be on different Wait. wavelengths here. What change are you talking about? Well, I started parting my hair on the left side instead of the right. Oh, you totally did, by the way. I I have to make fun of you for that. What? Um, The change that I was talking about is you going to Westover Hills. Oh, yes, yes. That seemed like so long ago, but yeah, that's a big deal. In order to prepare for this podcast, I watched the video that you shot for them (laughs) in order to mock you. What? And I immediately noticed, one, you're wearing, like, big boy clothes. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? You're wearing like a collared shirt, <laughs> unlike what you're wearing now, which is your common preaching attire, I think. What are you Cut off sleeve no, shirt. No. And then you parted your hair, and I was like, what? This guy sold out already? <laughs> That's not true at all. That is not true at all. Oh, yeah, you were you were totally like no snark. Hello, Westover. I am looking forward to. <laughs> I was like, "Who is this cat?" Well, I don't know what that means. I'm not a snarky person. I am just a genuine salt of the earth kind of guy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what most people think of you when they think <laughs> salt of the earth. That's what they say. Oh, that is so hurtful, man. Yeah. That is no, it was so hurtful. Designed to be. It was designed to be. No, I. I don't. I don't think any of that's true. I. I just. You know. Had a cowlick in the back, and I thought like, I needed to take the hair to the other side and work with the cowlick instead of working against it. And that just uh, happened to be the shirt I was wearing that day, two, mm-hmm. day, two, two days in a row when I shot it. I just happened to be super proper for once in my <laughs> life. <laughs> no, that's, you know, just – can I tell you something? I was talking to a guy named Preston from the Hill Country, and he sent a message to me actually. And Preston said, "I always like when Jonathan's on the podcast because good work, Preston." Well, let me finish. He said, "Because you guys are like the Church of Christ, Fallon and Timberlake." And I'm sure he's hearing this right now and going, 
you know, Jimmy Fallon would not make fun of Timberlake as much as you're making fun of me right now. I'm pretty sure he would, especially if Timberlake gave him this many reasons. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So who's who? Am I Jimmy Fallon? I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that's pretty obvious. Wait. You, you would be Fallon. You've got yeah. your funny jokes and, hey, I'm going to make fun of people and tell funny things. And, <laughs> hey, I was homeschooled. Yeah. And so, okay. like, everyone likes that. That is the worst Jimmy Fallon impression ever. That was my your impression, not the Jimmy Fallon. Oh, okay. And I... I I mean, I would just have to be Timberlake because, you know, he's got stuff on iTunes. My podcast is obviously on iTunes. So there's a lot of commonality. A lot of people think, I would oh, imagine that's it. No. That's like one place y'all overlap. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people hold, you know, pop stars and podcasters in a similar esteem. The word even sounds very similar. Pop star podcaster. It's almost like I the same. I can only think of one person who would hold them in the same esteem. Mm, I think I'm talking to him right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh gosh. Hey, Ben, congratulations for real. Thanks, um, dude. You're gonna love Westover, and they're gonna love you. Although, to be fair, you did get that job on your wife's coattails, right? Yeah, and just like you got the job at Highland because of the great <laughs> uh, recommendation I gave you. Yeah, that's true. I think I know that guy, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, we worked together once. One time, he was he was okay. Notes. They that kept some... all those notes. <laughs> Luke was indifferent in his recommendation. He's fine. I mean, if you can't find anyone better, I mean, if Graves and Ross and Hodges yeah. and Palmer all and you... <laughs> if you they're all busy, all <laughs> if they're all busy, then you <laughs> might as well. I mean, what else? It's um, a stellar recommendation. Yes. Okay. So when you left the hills uh, like five years ago to go to Highland, how rough was that? Sunday when you announced to everyone that you were leaving? Oh, it was tough, man. I kind of grew up at that church, um, you know, from I was a college intern two summers there and then worked there in all like eight years, six years as full time. And um, I mean, that church had invested in me and really believed in us when I couldn't get a job at Taco Bell, Walmart <laughs> or JCPenney. <laughs> and they hired me. So it wasn't like uh, Which what which one did you prefer? Taco Bell, JC Penny. Which one was the ideal job? Uh Taco Bell cuz yeah. I knew people, which made it all the worse. <laughs> you <laughs> knew them and they still wouldn't hire you? Yeah, cuz remember I I worked there for free without like getting paid real yeah. actual money. They paid me in food. Arkansas. And then when I That's Arkansas. right. That's all. <laughs> but you couldn't get a job at at Taco Bell, which is a nice establishment. <clears throat> Can't even say that. Um, it's a place that pays <laughs> I, people to work there. I will not stand here and let you mock Taco Bell. Hey, I'm going to be honest. I think that 30% of meat that's in their tacos, <laughs> the other 70%, I don't know what it is, but that's great. You know, It's a fine meat-based mixture. <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't get a job anywhere else, but you can get a job at, uh, at the Hills. And so you started yeah. off uh, as the person who washed Rick's car and like carried his water and his notes for him. That's true. The senior pastor there, Rick, actually, mutual mentor. Mm -hmm. I think he views his relationship with me as more of a success. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, this, yeah, I, I did a lot of, I did a lot of, uh, you know. Hey, brother. Uh, hey, brother Rick. Do you need any coffee? <laughs> Jonathan, I don't drink coffee. Uh, brother Rick, can I get you a Diet Coke? Oh. <laughs> He does like Diet Coke. I know. Speaking yeah. of which, did you see Donald Trump's tweet about that? About Rick Ashley? 
No. <laughs> and this is different than Rick. But Donald Trump, <laughs> gosh, man, he, that guy is so offensively <laughs> he, funny. I've never seen a skinny person drink Diet Coke. That's it. That's the one. That's <laughs> She's the one. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm. uh, At some point, Ashton Kutcher is going to jump out and said, we punked America, right? <laughs> that's right. That's Oh, goodness. I would hope that's the way this plays out. Oh, goodness. So, yeah. Uh, he is. Wait, he so is, what were you saying about Ashley then? He drinks Diet Coke. Were you, I drink Diet Coke. Were you saying something about Ashley's figure? What, like, what was the connection there? <laughs> Oh, you're just trying to move up on the list, aren't you? No, no, I'm not at all. Uh, <laughs> do you think Donald Trump is – I mean, he's like a dumpster fire where I you just can't, like, look away. Do you think – Is a dumpster fire – is that like a big Friday night in Arkansas? <laughs> hey, I can't stop it, guys. It's a dumpster fire. Oh, you obviously are saying that because you've never seen a dumpster fire party. <laughs> no. Those things are just amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you never heard that term dumpster fire? Like you can't look away. It's no, awful. literally no. And if there was a fire in a dumpster, I would call the fire department and then I would move on with my day. I, I wouldn't Gosh, just stare at it. Is, this is shirt collared, hair parted Luke we're talking <laughs> with. It's already it's already begun the quality of the podcast. <clears throat> just Well on this thirtieth day of August, the Lord told me in my quiet time. <laughs> On this, the year 2015 of our Lord. <laughs> so Okay, so Trump, you just can't stop looking at him. Yeah, I just uh, I wonder what it says about the discourse of, of American politics. That One, I do think, I think part of the reason he's so appealing, and there is, there is a certain appeal to him, is he just does not buy into all the like political correctness or the... And so he just says what I think lots of people have thought, but have some kind of filter that says, you know what, that's rude or hateful or wrong, and so, so I'm not going to say that. So have you thought that Senator McCain, because he was caught while being <laughs> a soldier, is not a hero? Has is that a thought that you've had? No, I've never had that. I've never thought. I've never even considered it from that way that you wouldn't consider someone a war hero because well, he, they got caught. He got, he got this is well, like, it's obviously not very good. This is not capture the flag, okay? <laughs> this is Senator McKinney. Okay, yeah, that's... <clears throat> I have played capture the flag, sir. <laughs> I know it. I know, that sounds like you're like a big Friday night. Capture the flag, you got your dumpster, dumpster fire, fire, heading over to Taco Bell, work for a couple hours and get you some burritos. That's a dude... <laughs> You just planned out my dream weekend. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. And, um, yeah. So when you left the hills, it was tough for you. I'm not going to lie. Last Sunday, I announced it to the church. I currently is, I don't know how to say it, what venture, the church in Denton, that, uh, you know, it's going to be my last Sunday, you know, three weeks from now, and I'm taking this job. And I thought I was going to be okay, and I thought that I wasn't going to be like a wreck, but it like, I seriously haven't seen someone cry like I did since that time someone in staff meeting told you that Superman isn't actually real. Okay, first off, that person's mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking off. I've told you over and over again. I had something in my eyes, okay? <laughs> yeah, that was that was rough. This is the best time for a preacher in, in one sense because everybody from your the church you've served – and you've served them well. I think you you should feel good about your several last few years adventure. 
Um, but they kind of gloss over. You know, they give you a bit of redaction history. The the, the way they tell your story of your ministry there, and mm-hmm. you know, you meant so much, and they whitewash over the kind of. I think that's a pretty accurate assessment of my ministry. I don't understand. More than <laughs> I bet you do. No, no, that's fair. I mean, and, and yeah, it's kind of like the funeral thing where at funerals, like everyone that's all right. of a sudden is this perfect person. And that's, that's not any of us. Um, yeah, that's definitely, I mean, certainly isn't one of us. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. And it then, is kind of a weird thing. Cause it's, it's easy to forget that, but I think that's probably a healthy thing that you, you don't want to just hold on to the bad things, but you celebrate the victories and have the gratitude for the memories you share together. Yeah. And the church that you're going to, it's all kind of honeymoon season because you haven't made, you know, any bad sermons yet. You haven't just you this know, bad podcast. That's all. Yeah. Got. Just this dumpster fire of a podcast. <laughs> yeah. How long did it take for you to wear off your honeymoon when you got to Highland? I don't know. I first couple of weeks, <laughs> uh, probably a year. Just generally speaking, church wide, the um, you know having this is new and we're still trying to figure out life together and stuff. I mean, it was, and I've heard that's about average. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. That makes good sense. luck, man. I hope I hope you love them and they love you. Well, in all seriousness, I mean, it is a huge honor for me to have served Venture for the years that I was uh, serving them, and it was an absolute gift to me. And I feel the same way about this next chapter in our life to to make the move down to Austin. It's it's a gift, and I'm I'm very grateful for it, and I'm excited. Okay, let's talk about the wrap up. Let's talk about the guest for the month of August. All right. So who we had? We had uh, Brad Jersick, which I just don't know if I'm actually saying his last name right. I'm just going to call him Brad. 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 We got Kent Brantley. We've got Becca Stevens. And we've got Pete Enns. There we go. We're going to talk about him. Should we go uh, starting from the first? Let's do it. Let's do that. Brad Jersick, the Canadian theologian pastor, had some fun, helpful, insightful comments to make that I think I got a lot of positive feedback. People liked him. Did you like him? I did. Um, I had already bought his uh, recent book, but I had never really heard of him before. It's just the how'd you why'd you buy his book then? It kept coming up on Amazon recommendations, like if you like this, and then I saw the people that had written blurbs for his book, and I like them. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, Brian Zahn was on there. Uh, Roar has uh, something on the back of the book. Uh, so yeah. By the way, I think I need. We need to start taxing you every time you say the phrase Richard Rohr and I as if he's the only person you hang out with. I mean, he's one of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's other people. Yeah, that's true. You've hung out with him like two times and you you have – is that a tattoo of his name on your shoulder I see? No, it's for the railroad company. That's why I have <laughs> RR on my arm. And it's also for my love of pirates. Arr. So um, leave me and Rohr alone. Yeah, you're not gonna. I'm not gonna let you meet him in a few weeks. If you keep uh, this up, you're gonna have to sit outside. You're gonna have. <laughs> you're, we're gonna be inside the center of action and contemplation. You're just gonna be contemplating outside. I'll be praying. Good. I'll totally be praying out there. Okay, so let's go back. You you had a copy of his book, and uh, have you read it? D- did you? You didn't start reading it before the podcast. I'd read like 
15 pages. I'd gotten to the part about Darwin's daughter dying yeah. that y'all talked about and um, had actually. Had you heard that before? I had not. Does um, it make sense to you? It does. It makes a lot of sense to me. The Because, I mean, Christians for a long time, including back when Darwin was had written and had uh, kind of come out with these ideas, Christians, especially in Europe, didn't really see a lot of contradiction between his ideas and the Christian faith. Um, I think, you know, the, the monkey trial, the Snopes monkey trial, and, mm. and the way we politicized it in the States made that a sharper distinction. But I could see that being like the, yeah, that's the... Yeah. If, if you didn't hear the podcast or didn't, uh, didn't read his book yet, the basic claim that he made is that what caused uh, Darwin to give up on faith was not his scientific findings, but when his young daughter, I don't know, maybe 13, 10, 13, somewhere in that age, when she got really sick and I think she passed away. And that's actually what caused him to give up on his faith, not his scientific findings, mm. which is uh, in a lot of ways, it makes a lot of sense. I think there are a lot of people who give up on faith and who have a, a tough time holding on to their faith because of adversity. I think probably more so than people in uh, the scientific community. Ah, that might be an overstatement, but I definitely know people in the scientific community who do not find their research being uh, an opposition to their faith. It's 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, man. We're going to make a lot of overstatements here. I'm pretty <laughs> sure 50% of this podcast is just going to be wrong. Well, that's <laughs> – I mean, we should make a disclaimer on this. Yeah, that none of the things that we say do we actually believe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> none of the stuff, uh, which uh, is pretty consistent with mm-hmm. your preaching. You're, oh, <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say something else, and I was going to. Okay, so his his uh, two chairs thing. Can you explain that to me? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the basic idea is you have one chair that is representing what people in the theological community talk about as substitutionary penal atonement understanding of sin, where you've transgressed, and because of God's holiness, he has to turn away from you because you've done something wrong. Jesus comes in the middle, makes it all right, and then so God can turn back to you. And I think what he's arguing for is a more beautiful picture of God that says, no matter what you do, God is always for you, is always pointing towards you. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I was wondering if you actually got it. The the two chairs thing. I I I like the the. There was one part that stood out to me that I was wanting to kind of talk about with you. He frames it like the two chairs. One's court model, you know, the yeah, one yeah. where, and the other one's therapy model. Like he says, you can't spank the flu out of a baby. Which I thought, well, that's. That's good to know. <laughs> I should have known that before I had the first three kids. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Dr. Spock. Um, <laughs> but you remember Barbara Brown Taylor's stuff on Speaking of Sin? Did you ever read that book? Uh, you know, when I was talking to Barb that one time, I don't oh, know if we <laughs> – <laughs> Yeah, so what is what is she saying about sin? Uh, well, she she basically talks about those two as – as incomplete, you know, that the court metaphor is actually one that the Bible uses often. Yeah. Um, and, and the sickness metaphor is one that we use often, but the problem is, and this is her big thing, like the language of, she, she says sin is our only hope because we, we don't choose to get the flu the way that we choose to willingly participate in gossip. Yeah. And I, I like, I like what 
Jersic is saying and trying to do there. But I still like the bigger grab of talking about sin. Um, what did you mean by hope? How is sin a hope? Maybe the bigger picture of sin. How is that? Oh, I mean, because it, it describes the situation. You know, Rachel Held Evans says she's a Christian because Christianity names sin. Yeah. And doesn't just say it's sickness, although there is some overlap. And it doesn't just say it's, you know, like transgression, although there's lots of overlap. It's that it, it says it's deeply broken. I'm a part of the problem. I have contributed to the brokenness of the world. It's not just out there. It's in me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's the stuff Jersic is getting at, mm-hmm. um, especially when he went on to talk about a different way of defining holiness. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because he pointed it back to um, like two texts, uh, Habakkuk and Isaiah, I think, as the passages that you're rolling your eyes at me. You're, that's such a pretentious way to say Habakkuk. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I went to school. I learned how to read Hebrew, and then I quickly forgot it after the test. And that's what my professor taught me. I know how to say it pretentiously. That's that's the one thing I got was, (laughs) dude, you live in the South. It needs to be something that people confuse for something you can smoke and get cancer. (laughs) If things that people smoke from where you're from, (laughs) that, that doesn't limit things is what I'm trying to say. There are plenty of things that people... Okay, but what he's saying is that those texts ultimately are not really saying what the conclusion that we've gotten to is, that you know God is holy, so he can't be around sin. And I like his, his turn on that, that he goes back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in the life of Jesus, he's always around sin. I had a conversation with Richard Back uh, like a year ago, and it, it's something I, I've never forgotten in a year. It's not like it's <laughs> That's so 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, but he basically said, you know, we miss the step in, in Christianity where we forget what holiness is for. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about holiness like, you know, Puritan kind of holiness often comes across like if you're happy and you know it, it's Lock a sin. Hands. No, it's a sin. No, it's a, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the fear that somewhere someone is happy, the... But the kind of holiness, according to Jesus, is for a purpose. And so the person who um, is sexually pure does it for the sake of being able to hang out with the sexually immoral. Not to be better than them, but, how, you know. How does it help you interact with? Oh, I mean, okay. So, like, let's say that I want to work with uh, victims of sex trafficking. I think it would be really, really important for me to ruthlessly go after my own heart and not uh, to to kill out any kind of lust. Hmm. So, um, so that you wouldn't find your own brokenness uh, mm-hmm. preventing Which you from yeah. A pretty repeated story, right? That people who are working in certain areas find themselves a part of the problem, and you know this public blow up happens. Or if you're going to work with um, people who are, if you're going to you know, have open a church in a bar, then you need to have your own relationship with alcohol yeah. in check. You know, those kind of things. It's, But it's a holiness for a purpose. I like that. I, I think that makes it so much better than a holiness so that God likes you. Right. right. God's happy with you. And this is who God is. I mean, that is the part of holiness in the Bible, but it's a holiness for reaching out to the world, to the brokenness of the world, and, and being an agent of healing, not an agent of... Um, kind of 
furthering the brokenness. Yeah, that's good. And so you're you're being a, a presence of hope, holiness, and and then you give that to others. That's great. Did you did you hear his stuff about wrath? Yeah, and I know you're doing some blog stuff on wrath coming up. What did you? What was your take on um, on Jersic stuff? I liked it a lot. It's where I'm at. His stuff on the distinction between active and passive wrath, which if if um, that doesn't make sense to you, basically, a lot of times you know a street preacher or someone like that, they're going to talk a lot about God's active wrath, and they're pretty sure they know who is going to hell and. Um, whatnot, you know, Westboro Baptist Church or, you know, Pat Robertson, mm-hmm. they tend to emphasize God, who he doesn't like and whatnot. But I think God's passive wrath, and this is what Jersek talked about, the way Paul talks about it is God hands us over to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so Romans 1 stuff. Right. And it's, it's like uh, Gollum in Lord of the Rings. The no clue what this is about. Are you serious? No. Do you not know Lord of the Rings? No, I didn't. You've I, never read Lord of the Rings. I, I recently started watching uh, Hunger Games. Is that close? Oh my gosh, that is so. Bad. I'm caught Uh-oh. up on the Fast and Furious. Man, if you air this, Westover is going to call back and <laughs> and just pull back on the offer. If you, you think you think it's in this conversation the thing that's going to make them want to pull back the offer is that really oh, it, it will be the straw that broke the camel's back i mean okay. it's not just this but it all right dude so okay forget that metaphor but basically have you ever read the great divorce by c.s lewis yes buses yes. go um from hell to heaven all the time and the people in hell never get on the bus because it's not that the the gate between heaven and hell is something that God is enforcing. I mean, as Revelation says, the gate is always open. Mm-hmm. But that we we choose our own destruction, and God ultimately allows us to do that. We worship things. Yeah. So, th- so that's passive wrath. That, mm-hmm. but what about like the active wrath? Do you think that even works well today? I do, and he actually said that. He said it doesn't work except maybe if you're talking to a religious leader. And this is actually something I've, I've got a blog coming out in a couple of days on. The I think about – and New York Times had an article a couple of weeks ago about how ISIS has um, developed a theology of rape. Oh, gosh. Have you heard this? No, I, I didn't. And they, they coached their people to – pray before they sexually assault a woman and they tell them things like this will bring you closer to god and i would like for the person who is the the religious leader to honestly consider themselves before god because i think god's wrath is very um or 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 let's say it's it's um the kkk grand dragon who opens up the meeting with the prayer yeah um the the and this is the point of what I think Jesus is doing in Matthew 25. When Jesus says, when he judges the, the goats and the sheep, he's not turning these people into goats and sheep. He's just revealing what they already are. Mm-hmm. It's not a magic thing. He's saying, you know, and, and they say things like, Lord, when did we lynch you? Or, Lord, when did we rape you? Mm-hmm. Um and, and basically, he's punishing them 
um, by revealing to them what they've what they've done. I think so much of the problems of the world and the church could be solved if our religious leaders honestly considered their lives under the gaze of God. And that's what I think he was getting at when he said, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Do you ever think, though, that fear, which is ultimately what that kind of wrath is supposed to bubble up inside of us, like that we have fear for whatever I do, there is going to be accountability to it. <clears throat> and if I say something atrocious like the leaders you, you mentioned before, I will have a day of reckoning, which I will have to pay for what I've done. Yeah. Okay. So obviously in those cases, yes, but none of us are saying, here's my theology of rape. None of us are teaching that kind of stuff. And so it becomes a lot smaller stuff. Do you ever fear that when you start using fear as the motivator, it doesn't ultimately get you the right destination? It might get you down the journey, but ultimately it's not going to get you where we really need to be. You know, I think the fear of God releases us from lots of other fears. And I, I think now the Camp Brantley interview, mm-hmm. the, just the understanding. I mean, I think of what Jesus said about how do not fear somebody who can destroy your body, but the person who can take both body and soul. And um, I mean, I do think a healthy fear of God, and that, and I think in that context, it means more like awe, wonder, and reverence. Mm-hmm. But you know, that there is a, a sense that God is one bigger than than me, bigger than any ministry, and that he's going to hold me accountable, like like the book of James says. Yeah. Leaders are held more accountable. Teachers are held more accountable. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Kent. Um, man, that's such a crazy story. I still think about it and just go, that is just mind-blowing, all the stuff that happened. and the He's way so he, impressive. I know. He's, you sounded more like an NPR host than any other podcast you've ever done on that one. What do you mean by that? Oh, you're more breathy. <laughs> less snarky. <laughs> more breathy. Oh, it could have been <sighs> what, rest over hills. It was – no. What are you – he's talking about a, <laughs> a disaster in which 11,000 people lost their lives and like almost 100 healthcare workers – volunteered to go into that and they end up losing their life how can i be like hey let me tell you some jokes about arkansas like, it's, you just can't <laughs> how am i gonna do that i'm pretty sure you could have figured out a way well, uh, thank you that's really sweet of you to say that but it's it, it's humbling <laughs> to hear him and in a lot of ways it's and i told this on the podcast you know, when i saw him the first time it's like hey hey Hey, Kent, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Saint Bentley. Uh, I didn't know what to do. And and he has kind of like you're saying, like kind of like that saintly aura now from what he's done. And, and and I hope this isn't me talking out of turn. But, you know, he talked to me afterwards and said, like, I, I feel weird because I'm still the same person. But people expect me to be the saint, which I think that has to be a, a tension that uh, a lot of preachers probably can commiserate with. Where it's like people expect him to be a saint, but he knows his own humanity. But we kind of want him to be in that role. I, I think he is that in that role. Um, whether you know whether I don't think he's perfect or anything, but I think he squarely looked at death and was willing to go for the good of God in the world. And um, that, I think that changes you. I don't think it just changes you. I think everybody around you knows that's different. And that's what saint is, a set-apart person. Yeah. 
that's a different way of approaching life and death. And um, I, I every time I spend any time with him, I always come across thinking this guy is legitimately humble and not he's not at all interested in how many books he sells or the like he's honestly trying to just be a, a good representative of Jesus. Yeah. So I thought it was one of the best podcasts you've ever done. Well, I mean it's hard to screw up a story like his. I mean he <laughs> is it's it's great. And when you hear someone talking about um like saying things I think his line was on my better days I know it's not about me and my family and my kids it's about the gospel mm-hmm. and that's kind of a nice thing to say like at a like at a D now or like a excuse me that's a Baptist thing I don't need to say this anymore um <laughs> <laughs> at a summer camp like you want to say okay it's not about me and my family it's ultimately about the gospel but when you see someone who legitimately has done that you're like oh okay yeah that's that's yeah kind of what you've done when i was listening to him one of the things that i i realized for the past two years i've i've been thinking these two different things i've been thinking about augustine and his disordered loves how all human misery comes from not having our Love's ordered correctly. We love some things too much, and, and we don't love God enough. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I've been thinking of is the slavery of death, and he brought those two things together. Slavery of death is Richard Beck's most recent book. It's a great book. How did Just, you bring those together? Well, we're so afraid of death is the, the big point. We orient our lives around trying to avoid it or not talk about it. And when he said the thing that you were talking about, um, on my better days I realized that my life isn't about my wife or children. It really is about Jesus and his responsibility is to reflect Christ to the world, starting with his wife and children. Um, when he, when it, he said basically, when you really love God more than anything else, then for you to die is gain because to be with God is the best possible thing. And I realized that's a, a properly ordered life, properly ordered loves. Yeah. Does fear death as an ultimate thing? What do you th- do? You think there's like other examples of people who have done that same sort of thing where they have their life ordered so well that they really ultimately care not so much about the things that seem to be really important, like family, your kids, your wife, but ultimately the gospel more than that. You know, I we went on that um, two weeks ago. All the preachers, all the young preachers in churches of Christ who care about racial reconciliation. Went on a a, a bus trip. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks. I guess and, Josh Grave doesn't. He just had a baby. Um, hmm. th- well, anyway, we went on a a, <laughs> a bus ride with um, ten black preachers and ten white preachers to go to famous places in the civil rights um, thing, and we got to spend a couple of days together. We got to hang out with Fred Gray, the lawyer. Mar- Dr. King's lawyer, Rosa Parks' lawyer. Cuba and Gooding Jr. played in yep. the movie? Yeah. And Selma, yeah. And um, he's also a Church of Christ preacher. And anyway, at one point on that on that day, I don't know how this is going to, if this is going to come across as, as significant as it was for me. I was talking with this guy, um, this black preacher who planted a church in Mississippi on his credit cards. And I asked him, what could we in white, predominantly white churches of Christ, learn from Christians in predominantly black churches of Christ. And at first he didn't want to 
you know, say, he's like, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're all the same. And, but I, after pushing him, he said, literally pushing him. <laughs> no, he was a big man. He would have, he would have been, most people can beat me up. So I, I tend to work metaphorically. Oh, okay. the, he said, um, in my experience, in his limited experience, a lot of white churches, their order of loves are country, family, God. Hmm. And that in the churches that he's been a part of and, and black churches of Christ, because their country has not just not too long ago, didn't let them vote and has, it's been really hard to idolize their country. And because life seems to be more precarious, you know, they don't, they don't have the ability to ignore death. And he said, because of that, it's, it's harder to make country and family idolatry. And so our order of worship tends to be, you know, God first and then country and family. And I thought about that, and I don't know if this rings true with your own experience, but in my years of ministry, um, those two things, country and family, have been the cause for really good people to become really cruel yeah, in yeah. ministry. And I think that's it's disordered loves. It's loving good things too much. Yeah. Yeah, you hear the almost typical story of some person who really ultimately wants what's best for their family. Uh, and so they say, we don't want those people coming to our church because we don't want our kids around them. And we don't want those people influencing our kids. And all of a sudden, what matters more is being safe for the family instead of ultimately right. the kingdom of heaven being realized in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So as you've thought about that, how how do you think we can undo in the white church our obsession with country and family and to reorder that? You know, I, I have real strong Anabaptist roots. And so I, I, I just assume the church is different than the state and we're a counterculture for the good of culture. The, you know, in churches of Christ, we rarely put up, most churches don't have American flags in the auditorium and, stuff like that i i think um the i think honestly what we talked about last time i did a wrap wrap up is part of the solution is by dealing with this major problem of our churches being so segregated hmm. you know having having more black christians in our churches who can help us kind of keep things in perspective for example when Watch how black Christians handle when they ha lose a child. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, it, it's obviously devastating, and it's not like they're exempt from suffering. But in my own limited experience, I think we can learn a lot from from how how they suffer. Um, and yeah. anyway, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think you know, anytime your church is just one group of people that is not a full reflection of the kingdom of heaven, you're clearly missing something. Mm -hmm. And and grief might be a, a, a great example of that. That's good. Let's uh let's transition. Let's talk about our friend Becca. Becca Stevens. How great is she? Isn't uh, she amazing? Uh, yeah. She I I love I think she's good for you. Yeah. She's a great podcast guest. She's nice. Wait, what do you mean by she's good for me? Um she she keeps you 
humble. She she mocks you appropriately. That's well. She told me to shut up about every three minutes on the podcast. <laughs> if we could just get that number up a little bit, a little bit higher. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay, so every time she talks, she just has great stories of mm-hmm. what her her ministry, the thing that she's a part of, is doing, and it's so stinking encouraging. We need to work on your follow up questions, though, because you know she tells that great story about this little girl who whispers in her mom's ear, you know, what do you pray for? What do you wish for? And little girl says, draw a house. And your follow-up question is, gosh, do you just have like a billion stories like these? Oh, come on. <laughs> you end the podcast with, tell me a story like she's putting you down for bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know, the one time I don't have great questions and you're going <laughs> to... Thank you. I appreciate that, Jonathan. She? Do you remember the time that you were trying to interview N.T. Wright? Do you remember that? <laughs> Do we want to talk about your questions? Brother Tom, Brother Tom, I don't think you should bring questions up in light of your whatever you want to call Can that. Can I give you a hug, Brother Tom? Yes, that's exactly what you did with N.T. Wright. Oh, gosh. Okay, let's get back to the subject matter. Her stuff on gift versus entitlement, that mm-hmm. whole, I just absolutely loved. I did too. I, I think uh, there – I love people like Becca who have gone through a lot of stuff and have learned how to see even the bad bits as a gift. Mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert had that. Oh, the GQ, GQ article? Yeah, oh, right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was so incredibly good. And he ends talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is something about people like that who have, you know, gone through hell and they're able to look back on it and see God working in redemptive ways and they they accept it all yeah. with gratitude. And so, I, I love that spirit. So Becca was young girl. Her dad was a a, a, a priest. And passes away, and then she goes through her own trauma, which she's talked about uh, elsewhere. Stephen Colbert was his dad and brother in like a, a plane that crashed or mm. something like that, so he loses family members as well. What do you think it is? Because I'm sure you've seen this, where you have some people who go through trauma like that, and they they develop this great deep wisdom, which they can share for everyone. They become a blessing for the world around them, and others who just get bitter. And it's always a question for me, like, there's some people that have gone through such hard times, you go, you can be just like this wellspring of wisdom, but instead you're like this rancid pool of acid that anyone who comes near you gets worse, and others have the exact opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is that, that causes that? You know, I, well, I think one is a little bit of distance. If anybody's listening and they're going through stuff, I, you know, I understand if you're a rancid pool of acid, um, yeah, yeah, we're talking years down the road, not in the middle of grief. I think there's a fundamental posture to the Christian faith that says it's all a gift, mm-hmm. that life is a gift, and, and all evil, all sorrow is only a parasite. No. It's only the good that has been taken away or lost. And to be able to say, you know, the reason I li- uh, miss my dad is because he was a good dad. And for those years that I had with him, I, I will always be eternally grateful. Yeah. If that was my kid, uh, and there are people who have gone through that sort of tragedy, and they have they have matured, and they have experienced both sides of it, where they have experienced grief, and they've moved past it, um, it's, it's amazing. As someone who couldn't imagine 
you know, having to see a child or a family member like that, um, it, it seems like almost insurmountable to get to the other side. And I think that's the beautiful thing about the community of heaven is that you see examples of people who've done just that thing. I know. And R- Rob Bell tells a story about he was um, oh, he was at some uh, I think it was an Oprah tour thing, and someone stands up and says, uh, you know, my my child is you know, just about to pass away or something like that. And, you know, the question was like, you know, where's God and all this? And, and Rob obviously is given a mic to answer that terrible question of someone who's going through tragedy. And his response is something about, oh, this is terrible and grieve and grieve, grieve, grieve. And at the very end, he says, you know, I bet there's going to be someone who, um, who down the road you're going to be able to minister to. And as he says that, the lady next to that woman stands up and says, yeah, my child um, passed away a couple of years ago. And they had like this amazing haha moment where community bubbles up and it's it's right there. And I think ultimately that's what the community is for. It shows you yeah. there is another way besides bitterness. There's a yep. way to have gratitude. And and I think this connects to the Camp Brantley stuff. The only way – this is G.K. Chesterton. The only way to love something is to realize it could be lost. And hmm. all, you know what? Like uh. – the the gratitude you have, I, I think this is the way to live before, during, and after tragedy. Um, that this whole thing is a gift. Every day is a gift. I, you know, said more forcefully, you know, life is a gift, but said more forcefully, I don't deserve life. It's yeah. It's something God has given me. And did I ever tell you about, Laying in a graveyard with my uh, m- my Muslim friend, who's a Christian now, but he grew up in Iran. That are you talking about the uh, your exchange student? No, no. At Highland, there's a guy who. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A couple years ago. Well, he yeah he's he's been here. For, this was actually earlier this, this year. Um, didn't, didn't Randy Harris do this? He did. He That's did. where it was. Yeah. Okay. So you go lay in the in a grave, and it's some spiritual discipline to remind you that it's all temporary. It's all temporary. It, it was one of the best things I've ever done. It was probably a little strange for other people in the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, what we what I do with my girls every night, most nights, is I we we get in the room, put them to bed, and I ask them to list off things that they're grateful for. And so we, we call it the high-low game, but we never play lowest, but we just say it's a high-low game. And just to create this practice of every night, them, them saying, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for, we got to have dinner together. I'm thankful for, you know, the stuffed animal. I'm thankful for, you know, getting to see Nini and Papa. I, I'm, I, and I want to instill in them, like, this practice of gratitude is a choice we make every day because it's yeah. not, not it's not something we, we deserve. That's right. Okay. Let's talk about P. Dens. Oh, P. Dens. <laughs> hey, he is great, man. I'm, I love how you get this world-class scholar to <laughs> come on your show and, and be so funny. <laughs> well, you know, it's a gift. It, it is really gift. is. It really no, is. he is great. He is so great. I sent an email out to you guys, you and a couple of other preacher buddies, a few months ago saying, hey, I'm about to preach Exodus. Uh, what commentary should I read? And I sent that email to him just before, and I completely forgot that he has a commentary on the book of Exodus. And one of you said, uh, Pete Enns has got one. I was like, oh, email Pete. Hey, sorry about that. I was kidding. I'm, I'm going to get your book. For Gosh, me. we need to take away your email. 
Yeah, probably. <laughs> so you can, or maybe put like a, a two day delay on it, <laughs> so you can. Like, like, like the time like, I emailed uh, Barbara Brown Taylor and I quoted her back to herself. Mm-hmm. That, this is what I'm talking about. This could stop that. Okay. All right. So what I I found really interesting about Pete is he was given a question from a, a listener of the show who asked, "What's his favorite part of the Bible?" And you have this you know, world-class scholar, super smart guy. And what he picks is not like history. It's not some story. It's poetry. Mm -hmm. It's poetry. And I love that because at some point you go, there is, there is truth beyond truth that in some ways can be more real to you. And poetry sometimes can point us to what historical kind of stuff doesn't have the ability to do. Yeah. You remember how, and what we talk about when we talk about God, Bell's book, he just talks about how sometimes you need a surgical scalpel mm-hmm. and, and sometimes you need a paintbrush. That, And I would imagine somebody like Pete Enns who's worked a lot with historical criticism stuff and you know, kind of dissecting the text and all that stuff. There's, um, there's just something about poetry that says you can't – doesn't work here. Yeah. I don't know about you, but for me, the, the older I get, the more I find myself being drawn to contemplative prayer – as a spiritual practice and it's less about uh, studying and breaking down the Bible, which I still do as part of my job. But I find myself, if I have a choice, just being still and being quiet, uh, meditating, I find that to be very enriching because there's something that I, I can't experience when I'm trying to deconstruct the Bible like I can experience when I'm just being present to God. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think people who have had any kind of like um, training in Christian theology, find, find, um, well, at least for me, I found that a lot of the first part of my prayer life when I was out of, uh, college and, and grad school was me basically telling God stuff about him, <laughs> you know, and God, you, we know that you are, you know, <laughs> uh, versus, you know, kind of trying to enjoy God. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Pete's also really good for his stuff about uh, reading the Bible as – I think we, we got stuck using the, the adolescent reading, which I think is kind of pejorative. But like this entry level yeah, – look at me with my big words. It's, it's not a big word. It, pejorative it, is a big word. No, it's not. not. I'm ready for Westover. Here I come. <laughs> it's, but okay, but what he's trying to point to is like there's a there's a way to interact with the Bible in – a way that it's not some fairy tale, but it's a book that we have to, you know, really wrestle with to understand what it is. And I love how he does that in an accessible way to people. Yeah, he does. Um, I like his stuff on, and he's done this a couple of times in your podcast, just talking about all of scripture reading it through a Christocentric lens. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. I find that to be really good. I think my dad's ripping some of that off in the Bible class that he teaches at his church in Abilene. So if you ever want to hear good Bible teaching, go to my dad's class, leave Highland. All right, dude, we're out of time. It is late. It is, man. But this has been fun. It has been. Congratulations, man. I'm I'm very happy for you and Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time, as always. That was a fun wrap-up. We'll do it. All right, see you later. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.